Volume Two, Chapter Ten of *The Vicar of Wrexhill*. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. *The Vicar of Wrexhill* by Francis Milton Trollope. Volume Two, Chapter Ten. Fanny's Religion: A Visit to Oakley. It was towards the end of November that young Mowbray returned from Oxford to his mother's house in Hampshire. As usual, the first three or four hours' chat with Helen and Rosalind put him au fait of all that had taken place during his absence. The retrospect was not a cheering one yet most of the circumstances which tended to annoy him were of that minor kind which none but a very gossiping correspondent would detail and helen was not such besides since the mysterious letter which had recalled charles to keep watch over fanny the full and true purpose of which letter he had never yet discovered miss torrington had not written to him and as she was now the chief historian her round and unvarnished tale made him acquainted with many particulars to which helen had scarcely alluded in her correspondence with him helen mowbray's was not a spirit to exhaust itself and its sorrows by breathing unavailing complaints and though her brother had pretty clearly understood from her letters that she was not happy or comfortable at home it was from rosalind he first learned how many circumstances were daily occurring to make her otherwise the only point on which he blamed her or in which according to rosalind's account she had shown more yielding and as he called it weakness than her helpless and most unhappy position rendered unavoidable was in the never having attempted to see lady harrington this he declared was in itself wrong and rendered doubly so by her situation which would have rendered the society and counsel of such a friend invaluable but he did not know even rosalind did not know that this forbearance for which he blamed her was the result of those qualities for which they most loved her but helen knew though they did not that if she had gone to oakley she should have thought more of hearing news of colonel harrington than of any advice her godmother could have given her and have been infinitely more anxious to learn if he ever mentioned her in his letters than to know whether lady harrington thought it best that she should be civil or that she should be rude in her demeanour towards the vicar of wrexhill it was this conscious weakness which lent strength to the unreasonable violence of her mother on this point had helen been quite fancy-free and altogether heart-whole she would have had courage to discover that a passionate prohibition originating as she could not doubt it did with a man for whom she entertained no species of esteem ought not to make her abandon one of the kindest friends she had ever known but there is a feeling stronger than reason in a young girl's breast and again and again this feeling had whispered to helen it is not maidenly to go to the house of a man that i fear i love and that i hope loves me for the chance of hearing his name mentioned and that too when my mother forbids me to enter his father's door but there was an authority in charles's voice when he said you have been wrong helen which seemed to have power even over this and she promised that if after he had paid the visit to oakley which he was fully determined to do on the morrow he should report that her friends there were not too angry to receive her she would consent to volunteer a visit to them assigning as her reason for doing so to her mother that it was charles's wish this conversation took place on the night of his arrival and lasted for some hours after every individual of the household excepting those engaged in it were in bed poor fanny was among those who had the earliest retired but she was not among the sleepers she too had once loved charles most dearly and most dearly had she been loved in return but now she felt that they were separated for ever in this world and that if they were doomed to meet in the world to come it could only be amidst torturing and devouring flames as she knelt for long hours beside her bed before she dared to lay her aching head on the pillow her thoughts reverted to her early youth and to all the innocent delights she had enjoyed with him and the now avoided helen and as she remembered the ecstasy with which she had once enjoyed the bloom of flowers the song of birds the breath of early morning and all the poetry of nature tears of silent unacknowledged but most bitter regret streamed from her eyes 
but then again came the ague fit of visionary remorse and genuine calvinistic terror and she groaned aloud in agony of spirit for having suffered these natural tears to fall this dreadful vigil left such traces on the pale cheek and heavy eye of the suffering girl that her brother's heart ached as he looked at her and though with little hope after what he had heard of doing any good he determined to seek half an hour's conversation with her before he went out when she rose to leave the breakfast-table therefore charles rose too and following her out of the room stopped her as she was in the act of ascending the stairs by putting his arms round her waist and saying fanny will you take a walk with me in the shrubbery fanny started and coloured and hesitated as if some deed of very doubtful tendency had been proposed to her but he persevered come dear put your bonnet on i will wait for you here make haste fanny think how long it is since you and i took a walk together is helen going the question was asked in a voice that trembled for the idea that charles meant during this walk to question her concerning her faith occurred to her and she would have given much to avoid it but before she could invent an excuse for doing so her conscience always ready to enforce the doing whatever was most disagreeable to her suggested that this shrinking looked like being ashamed of her principles and no sooner had this idea suggested itself than she said readily very well charles i will come to you in a moment but the moment was a rather long one for fanny before she rejoined him knelt down and made an extempore prayer for courage and strength to resist and render of no effect whatever he might say to her thus prepared she set forth ready to listen with the most determined obstinacy to any argument which might tend to overthrow any part of the creed that was poisoning the very sources of her life you are not looking well my fanny said her brother fondly pressing her arm as they turned into the most sheltered part of the garden do you think the morning too cold for walking my love you used to be such a hardy little thing fanny that you cared for nothing but i am afraid the case is different now this was not exactly the opening that fanny expected and there was a tenderness in the tone of his voice that almost softened her heart towards him but she answered not a word perhaps she feared to trust her voice i wish you would tell me dearest if any sorrow or vexation has chased away the bloom and the gladness that we all so love to look upon tell me fanny what is it that has changed you so sadly you will not then you do not love me as i love you for i am sure if i had a sorrow i should open my heart to you when a christian has a sorrow brother charles he should open his heart to heaven and not to a poor sinful mortal as wicked and weak as himself but surely my dear fanny that need not prevent a brother and sister from conversing with the greatest confidence together how many texts i could quote to you in which family unity and affection are inculcated in the bible pray do not quote the bible said fanny in a voice of alarm till the right spirit has come upon you it is a grievous sin to do it or to hear it be assured fanny that i feel quite as averse to quoting the bible irreverently as you can but tell me why it is you think that the right spirit as you call it has not come upon me as i call it repeated fanny shuddering it is not i charles it is one of heaven's saints who says it and it is a sin for me to listen to you it is doubtless mr cartwright who says it fanny is it not so and who has so good a right to say it as the minister of your parish and the friend and protector that heaven has sent your widowed mother poor mowbray felt his heart swell it was difficult to hear the man who had come between him and all his best duties and affections named in this manner as his own maligner and restrain his just and natural indignation yet he did restrain it and said in a voice of the utmost gentleness do you think my beloved fanny mr cartwright's influence in this house has been for our happiness may the lord forgive me for listening to such words exclaimed fanny with that look of nervous terror which her beautiful face now so often expressed but he can't he can't i know it i know it it is my doom to sin and you are only an agent of that enemy who is for ever seeking my soul to destroy it leave me leave me 
fanny this is dreadful can you really believe that the god of love and mercy will hold you guilty for listening to the voice of your brother what have i ever done my fanny to deserve to be thus driven from your presence the unhappy girl looked bewildered done she exclaimed what have you done is not that works is not that of works you speak charles oh he knew he foretold he prophesied unto me that i should be spoken to of works and that i should listen thereunto to my everlasting destruction if i confessed not my soul to him upon the instant i must seek him out he said if oh that dear blessed if let go my arm brother charles let me seek my salvation fanny this is madness she looked at him poor girl as he said this with an expression that brought tears to his eyes that look seemed to speak a dreadful doubt whether the words he had spoken were not true. She pressed her hand against her forehead for a moment, and then said in a voice of the most touching sadness, "'Heaven help me!' "'Oh, Fanny, darling Fanny!' cried the terrified brother, throwing his arms round her. "'Save us from the anguish of seeing you destroyed body and mind by this frightful, this impious doctrine. Listen to me, my own sweet girl. Think that from me you hear the voice of your father, of the good and pious Wallace, of your excellent and exemplary governess, and drive this maddening terror from you. Did you live without God in the world, Fanny, when you lived under their virtuous rule? How often have you heard your dear father say, when he came forth and looked upon the beauty of the groves and lawns, bright in the morning sunshine, Praise the Lord, my children, for his goodness, for his mercy endureth for ever. Did not these words raise your young heart to heaven more than all the frightful denunciations which have almost shaken your reason? Works, works! Oh, Charles, let me go from you! Your voice is like the voice of a serpent. It creeps dreadfully near my heart, and I shall perish, everlastingly perish, if I listen to you. If, is there yet an if for me now? Let me go, Charles, let me seek him. If you love me, let me seek my salvation. Do you mean that you would seek Mr. Cartwright, Fanny? You do not mean to go to his house, do you? His house? How little you know him, Charles! Think you that he would leave me and my poor mother to perish? Poor, poor Charles! You do not even know that this shepherd and guardian of our souls prays with us daily? Prays with you? Where does he pray with you? In Mamma's dressing-room. And who are present at these prayers? Mamma and I, and Curtis, and Jem. Jem? Who is Jem, Fanny? The new stable-boy that our minister recommended, Charles, when that poor deluded Dick Bragg was found walking in the fields with his sister Patty on the Sabbath. You don't mean that Dick Bragg is turned away. He was, without exception, the steadiest lad in the parish. Works, works, exclaimed Fanny, wringing her hands. Oh, Charles, how your poor soul clings to the perdition of works. Gracious heaven, exclaimed Mowbray, with great emotion. Where will all this end? What an existence for Helen, for Rosalind! Is there no cure for this folly, this madness on one side, and this infernal craft and hypocrisy on the other? On hearing these words, Fanny uttered a cry which very nearly amounted to a scream, and running off towards the house, with the fleetness of a startled fawn, left her brother in a state of irritation and misery, such as he had never suffered before. The idea of seeing Sir Gilbert Harrington immediately had perhaps more comfort and consolation in it than any other which could have suggested itself and the lanes and the fields which divided Oakley from Mowbray were traversed at a pace that soon brought the agitated young man to the baronet's door. "'Is Sir Gilbert at home, John?' he demanded of an old servant, who had known him from childhood, but instead of the widely opened door and ready smile which used to greet him, he received a grave and hesitating, "'I don't know, sir,' from the changed domestic. "'Is Lady Haddington at home?' said Charles, vexing and colouring. "'It is likely she may be, Mr. Mowbray,' said the old man relentingly. "'Will you please to wait one moment, Master Charles? I think my lady can't refuse.' Charles's heart was full, but he did wait, and John speedily returned, saying almost in a whisper, "'Please to walk in, sir, but you must go into my lady's closet. 
that's the only safe place she says safe repeated charles but he made no objection to the taking refuge in my lady's closet and in another moment he found himself not only in the closet but in the arms of the good old lady oh if sir gilbert could see me she exclaimed after very heartily hugging the young man he's a greater tiger than ever charles and i really don't know which of us would be torn to pieces first but only tell me one thing before i abuse him any more how long have you been at home the coach broke down at newbury replied charles and i did not get to mowbray till nine o'clock last night thank heaven ejaculated lady harrington very fervently then there's hope at least for you but what on earth can you say to me of my beautiful helen three months charles three whole months since she has been near me and she knows i dote upon her and that sir gilbert himself untamable hyena as he is has always been loving and gentle to her as far as his nature would permit then why has she treated us thus you can't wonder can you that he swears lustily every morning that ingratitude is worse than all the mortal sins put together i dare not throw the charge back upon you my dear lady and yet it is being ungrateful for poor helen's true affection to believe it possible that she should so long have remained absent from you by her own free will you know not dearest lady harrington what my poor helen has to endure endure what do you mean charles surely there is nobody living who dares to be unkind to her my poor boy i am almost ashamed to ask the question but you will forgive an old friend is there any truth charles in that abominable report that horrid report you know about your mother what report lady harrington said mowbray colouring like scarlet i have heard no report excepting that which is indeed too sure and certain to be called a report namely that she has become a violent calvinistic methodist that's bad enough my dear charles bad enough of all conscience and yet i have heard of what would be worse still i have heard charles that she is going to be weak and wicked enough to marry that odious hypocritical tartuffe the vicar of rexhill mowbray put his hand before his eyes as if he had been blasted by lightning and then replied as steadily as he could i have never heard this lady harrington then i trust i trust it is not true charles helen surely and that bright-eyed creature miss torrington who have both i believe for heaven help me i don't know both i believe been staying all the time at mowbray and surely and surely if this most atrocious deed were contemplated they must have some knowledge of it and that they certainly have not replied charles with recovered courage for i sat with them both for two or three hours last night listening to their miserable account of this man's detestable influence over my mother and fanny and certainly they would not have concealed from me such a suspicion as this had any such existed in the breast of either quite true my dear boy and i can hardly tell you how welcome this assurance is to me not for your mother's sake charles if you cannot bear the truth you must not come to me and on this point the truth is that i don't care one single straw about your mother i never shall forgive her for not answering sir gilbert's note i know what the writing it cost him dear proud generous-hearted old fellow and not to answer it not to tell her children of it no i shall never forgive her and i should not care the value of a rat's tail if she were to marry every tub-preacher throughout england and all their clerks in succession that is not for her own sake i dare say she'll preach in a tub herself before she has done with it but for your sakes my dear souls i do rejoice that it's not true that would indeed complete our misery and it is already quite bad enough i assure you the house helen says is a perfect conventicle the girls are ordered to sing nothing but psalms and hymns some of the latter so offensively ludicrous too as to be perfectly indecent and profane a long extempore sermon or lecture as he calls it is delivered to the whole family in the great drawing-room every night missionary boxes are not only hung up beside every door but actually carried round by the butler whenever any one calls and a hundred and fifty other absurdities 
at which we should laugh were we in a gayer mood but this farce has produced the saddest tragedy i ever witnessed in the effect it has had upon our poor fanny i have had some conversation with her this morning and i do assure you that i greatly fear her reason is unsettled or like to be so heaven forbid charles pretty innocent young thing that would be too horrible to think of the old lady's eyes were full of tears a circumstance very unusual with her but the idea suggested struck her to the heart and she had not yet removed the traces of this most unwanted proof of sensibility when a heavy thump was heard at the door of the closet who's there said her ladyship in a voice rather raised than lowered by the emotion which dimmed her eyes let me in my lady responded the voice of sir gilbert what do you want sir gilbert i am busy so i understand my lady and i am come to help you will you promise if i let you in not to hinder me instead i'll promise nothing except to quarrel with you if you do not was there ever such a tyrant come in then see hear and understand the door was opened and sir gilbert harrington and charles mowbray stood face to face charles smiled and held out his hand the baronet knit his brows but the expression of his mouth told her experienced ladyship plainly enough that he was well enough pleased at the sight of his unexpected guest he only got to mowbray at nine o'clock last night said lady harrington sir gilbert held out his hand charles i am glad to see you said he thank heaven ejaculated the old lady my dear sir gilbert said charles i have learnt your kind and friendly anger at the prolonged absence of my poor sister the fault is not hers sir gilbert she has been most strictly forbidden to visit you by her mother by her mother sir gilbert and pray charles do you think it her duty to obey i really know not how to answer you for a girl just nineteen to act in declared defiance of the commands of her mother and that mother her sole surviving parent is a line of conduct almost too bold to advise and yet such is the lamentable state of infatuation to which my mother's mind appears to be reduced by the pernicious influence of this cartwright that i think it would be more dangerous still to recommend obedience upon my life i think so replied sir gilbert in an accent that showed he thought the proposition too self-evident to be discussed i have been devilish angry with the girls with helen i mean for i understand that little idiot fanny is just as mad as her mother but that helen and that fine girl rosalind torrington should shut themselves up with an hypocritical fanatic and a canting madwoman is enough to put any man out of patience the situation has been almost enough to put helen in her grave she looks wretchedly and miss torrington is no longer the same creature it would wring your heart to see these poor girls sir gilbert and what are they to do come to us charles let them both come here instantly and remain here till your mother's mad fit is over if it lasts i shall advise you to take out a commission of lunacy the madness is not such as a physician would recognize sir gilbert and yet i give you my honour that from many things which my sister and miss torrington told me last night i really do think my mother's reason must be in some degree deranged and for my poor little fanny six months ago the pride and darling of us all she is i am quite persuaded on the verge of insanity and you mean to leave her in the power of that distracted driveller her mother that the work may be finished what can i do sir gilbert remove them all take them instantly away from you i tell you the blood rushed painfully to poor mowbray's face you forget sir gilbert he said that i have not the means you forget my father's will no sir i do not forget it nor do i forget either that had i not in a fit of contemptible passion refused to act as executor i might i think it possible i might have plagued her heart out and done some good i shall never forgive myself but you could have given us no power over the property sir gilbert we are beggars i know it i know it replied the old gentleman clenching his fists i told you so from the first and now mark my words she'll marry her saint before she's six months older i trust that in this you are mistaken 
the girls have certainly no suspicions of the sort the girls are fools as girls always are but let them come here i tell you and we may save their lives at any rate tell them both from me charles that they shall find a home and a happy one here but don't let them chill that old man's heart again by taking no notice of this and keeping out of his sight for another three months tell them both from me charles that they shall find a home and a happy one here but don't let them chill that old man's heart again by taking no notice of this and keeping out of his sight for another three months he'll have the gout in his stomach as sure as they're born just tell helen that from me mowbray warmly expressed his gratitude for their kindness and though he would not undertake to promise that either helen or miss torrington would immediately decide upon leaving his mother's house in open defiance of her commands he promised that they should both come over on the morrow to be cheered and supported by the assurance of their continued friendship he was then preparing to take leave when lady harrington laid her hand upon his arm saying listen to me charles for a moment those dear girls and you too my dear boy you're all surrounded with great difficulties and some consideration is necessary as to how you shall meet them best it won't do sir gilbert it will be neither right nor proper in any way for helen to set off at once in utter and open defiance of mrs mowbray what i advise is that charles should go home take his mother apart and like hamlet in the closet scene speak daggers but use none it does not appear from all we have yet heard that any one has hitherto attempted to point out to her the deplorable folly ay and wickedness too which she is committing i do not believe she would admit sir gilbert and to say the truth i don't think it would be very safe to trust him with the job damn it i wish you would interrupted sir gilbert i should like to have the talking to her only just for an hour and i'd consent to have the gout for a month afterwards i would upon my soul do be tame for a moment you wild man of the woods said her ladyship laying her hand upon his mouth and let me finish what i was saying no no sir gilbert is not the proper person but you are charles speak to her with gentleness with kindness but tell her the truth if you find her contrite and yielding use your victory with moderation and let her down easily from her giddy elevation of saintship to the sober quiet even path of rational religion and domestic duty but if she be restive if she still persist in forbidding helen to visit her father's oldest friends while making her own once happy home a prison and a wretched one then charles mowbray i would tell her roundly that she must choose between her children and her tartuffe and that if she keeps him she must lose you bravo capital old lady if charles will just say all that we shall be able to guess by the result as to how things are between them and we must act accordingly you have your allowance paid regularly charles i think she doubled it didn't she after your father died charles looked embarrassed but answered yes sir gilbert my allowance was doubled come boy don't answer like a jesuit is it regularly paid that was my question my main question the first quarter was paid sir gilbert but before i left the university instead of the remittance i received a letter from my mother desiring me to transmit a statement of all my debts to stephen corbold esq solicitor rexhill and that they should be attended to which would she added be more satisfactory to her than sending my allowance without knowing how i stood with my tradesmen and have you done this my fine sir said sir gilbert becoming almost purple with anger no sir gilbert i have not the baronet threw his arms round him and gave him a tremendous hug i see you are worth caring for my boy i should never have forgiven you if you had audacious rascal why charles that corbold has been poking his snuffling hypocritical nose into every house not only in your parish but in mine and in at least a dozen others and has positively beat poor old gasper brown out of the field the old man called to take leave of me not a week ago and told me that one after another very nearly every client he had in this part of the world had come or sent him for their papers in order to deposit them with this canting corbold and as i hear all the little farmers for miles around are diligently going to law in the name of the lord but what do you do my dear boy for money 
oh i have managed pretty well it was a disappointment certainly and at first i felt a little awkward for the letter did not reach me till i had ordered my farewell supper and as in truth i had no tradesmen's bills to pay i gave my orders pretty liberally and of course have been obliged to leave the account unpaid an arrangement which to many others would have had nothing awkward in it at all but as my allowance has been always too liberal to permit my being in debt during any part of the time i have been at college the not paying my last bill there was very disagreeable however the people were abundantly civil and i flatter myself that without the assistance of mr corbold i shall be able to settle this matter before long what is the sum you have left unpaid charles inquired the baronet bluntly seventy-five pounds sir gilbert then just sit down for half a moment and write a line enclosing the money you may cut the notes in half if you think there is any danger and as he spoke he laid bank-notes to the amount of seventy-five pounds on her ladyship's botanical dresser young mowbray who had not the slightest doubt of receiving his allowance from his mother as soon as he should ask her for it would rather not have been under a pecuniary obligation even for a day but he caught the eye of lady harrington who was standing behind her impetuous husband and received thence a perfectly intelligible hint that he must not refuse the offer most anxious to avoid renewing the coldness so recently removed he readily and graciously accepted the offered loan and thereby most perfectly re-established the harmony which had existed throughout his life between himself and the warm-hearted but impetuous sir gilbert now then said the old gentleman with the most cordial and happy good-humour be off my dear boy follow my dame's advice to the letter and come back as soon as you conveniently can to let us know what comes of it cheered in spirit by this warm renewal of the friendship he so truly valued young mowbray set off on his homeward walk pondering as he went on the best mode of opening such a conversation with his mother as lady harrington recommended a task both difficult and disagreeable but one which he believed it his duty not to shrink from End of chapter 10